welcome to UBU Pod. Here you'll meet incredible people who tell us about their rich and interesting lives of being visible, of working through challenges, and of coming out the other side. There's so much power in people's stories, and as a curious person, I love finding out how people tick. I'm your host, Megan Hamilton. I'm a speaking, visibility, and confidence coach, and I help you be you. I am so excited today to have Carly Nimmo with me. I have been a big fan for quite a long time. I have taken a course with her actually two this summer. And um, I just want to say thank you so much for being here, Carly. It's, it's so fun to have you. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is not new for you. You've been doing podcasting for a long time. And can you tell me a little bit about how that started for you and, and how you sort of became you know, sort of the, the, the number one podcast star that you are. Okay. So it is a really, really long story. So I'll try and keep it brief, but essentially I was always a kid with a double tape deck. You know, my dad got me one when I was very little and I was always recording my own voice. I've always loved the sound of my own voice, (laughs) which is kind of weird. Most people hate it, but I don't know if I've just grown to love it or I I just naturally loved it. But I love talking. I've loved recording. And so um, eventually I went into radio. I had, it was really a brief stint, but um, I worked in all aspects of radio. So I got a really solid understanding of the broadcasting industry there. Uh, And then I started my own voiceover agency. So I've been working as a voiceover artist for the last at least 15 years. I've run my business for the last 15 years, um, but been a voiceover artist for probably the last 17 to 18. Yeah, it's a long time, right? (laughs) A long time to master a craft, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've I've definitely done the 10,000 hours with voice, you know, (laughs) Done, (laughs) done my mastering of that. And then... Yeah. So, so I did the voiceover stuff and then I kind of like, uh, I didn't feel like it had much purpose. You know, I was just doing a lot of, and I still do a lot of work health safety videos and that kind of thing. It was corporate video back in that day, in those days. And these days it's mostly e-learning stuff. Um, But it's, it's kind of dry, boring content. It didn't really feel like it was changing the world. And I've I've always felt like I was here for something more, you know, like something bigger impact, Mm. um, greater purpose or whatever. And, uh, and so I, I've, I've experimented around a lot with a lot of different things. I got really heavily involved in personal development and in the spiritual world. And thanks to a, a bout of depression, um, that was really my, well, I, I, was, I was always interested in esoteric stuff, even as a kid, but I had a bout of mm-hmm. depression when I turned around my 30th birthday and, um, and it led me more into the personal development stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so I experimented a lot with different, you know, different things. I, I back then I started walking on the beach. Um, I exercise was a big part of my, you know, like keeping my, clear mentally and so I would run on the beach every day and I would take my little video camera it was actually a camcorder and just record these like little videos when I felt really clear after I'd been running for about 40 minutes I started to feel like you know I'd tuned into something and 
I'd hit record and record these sweaty videos of me running on the beach, you know, at the height of my depression, talking about something. Um, and, and then I'd put them on YouTube and this was probably about 2009, 2010. And I was also blogging back then okay. as well. I had a blog called Carlosophies and eventually, you know, and, and then life just threw a whole bunch of different, like I went on that, like, what is my purpose meaning thing? And I tried a whole bunch of stuff. I threw a lot of shit at the wall and not much of it stuck, um, which I'm sure we'll talk a bit about today. And then eventually after a really big failure, I found myself in a position where I just had a, I just had a surprise baby um, and was really struggling with that transition and, and my identity. And, and I was licking my wounds after this really massive failure. And I just wanted to talk to other entrepreneurs about how it wasn't actually that easy. You know, like around, around, around that time, I feel like there was a lot of people and they still are spouting how easy entrepreneurship is. You know, you just kind of monetize your knowledge and boom, you're oh, like on a beach yeah, yeah. sipping cocktails. Yeah, like, <laughs> easy. Like, follow me and let's get six figures. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it was yeah. driving me crazy because I'd been in business for like, you know, 10 years at that point. And, and you know, yeah, just, it's like, that's not how it happens. Maybe for a very rare few, but then it's not sustainable anyway. You know, it's like a flash in the pan, 15 minutes of fame and you're gone. And so, yeah. And so I wanted to talk to people about the meaty stuff. No one was really talking about failure back then. And I had experienced a lot of it. So I just wanted to really normalize it for myself more than anything. And so I started Carlosophies and it was just me. So it, there were two formats of the show back then. One was me walking on the beach, the same way I had with my video camcorder back then before mobile phones had, uh, you know, like video cameras in them. It was a proper camcorder. So yeah. it was a similar thing, me just walking on the beach, jamming on whatever I was kind of going through, sharing my journey. And then in the alternate weeks, I would interview someone that I knew um, about, and some people I didn't, but mostly it was people that I'd had some interaction with about their stories behind success. And it hit a chord and I, um, yeah. And I just was number one in iTunes. I was picked up by Apple, put in new and noteworthy, um, all that kind of good stuff. And Good yeah, fun. and then I've been working in this space for the last six years and I've just done over 300 episodes of Carlosophies every week for the last, yeah, five and a half years. Um, yeah, and it's really taught me a lot about who I am and how I want to show up in the world. And it's been the place where I've found my own voice, you know, in the world, which has been um, such an incredible gift. And then I've gone on to work with hundreds and hundreds of podcasters and I produce shows for other people and stuff. So, and I do a lot of public speaking in this space. So, um, so I'm really heavily in the, the podcasting space, but really I feel like I'm an advocate for people to show up and speak up more than anything. Which is where we first interacted outside of me liking a whole lot of your things on Instagram. <laughs> so you ran these uh, amazing courses this summer through, I think it was, was it the Australian government or, or somebody? It was, was an organization called WISE, Women in Social Enterprise here in Australia. And like, it was such a, it was such a wonderful thing. Well, it was wonderful and terrible. <laughs> um, I got, I got some funding to run some programs from this organization and they were supposed to be in-person workshops, but due to COVID um, we couldn't do in-person. So it meant that I could offer them for free online for whoever wanted to come. And it was so much fun. What a, it was like a really great experience. I loved it. 
It was really great. And it was, you know, for me, and especially at that time, starting to to focus, because at that point, my business switched from being a public speaking coach to, and actually, it was another Australian woman who gave me the idea. Do you know Jericho Mandeber? No. She has a podcast as well. Um, and and I know that's ridiculous because Australia is a very large place, but having two, <laughs> two women. But we're casting. also very, very, like, it's very odd for us to have um, huge overseas listeners, you know, like most of my audience is local. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's the accent or what, but yeah, but it's hard for us to break outside the Australian market for sure. So it's interesting is that it you've really? got two Australian podcasts on your your playlist my radar. and that's not even it i think it was actually um school of visibility which was um, yeah, sam. Who, yeah, yeah i love her. sam she originally mentioned you on something of hers and i went there and then uh yeah so it's all I'm, i feel like uh i'm like really tuned into australian yeah, women honest. right now which i'm totally fine with so going back to speak up because that was the first course I took with you. So, I mean, you were doing it, I think at noon, your time. And for me, it was 10 on a Wednesday and I was like, Oh fuck, I better like, you know, uh, but I, did, I knew yeah, or something, but it was, uh, and I think at that point too, that was like month four or month five of having my kid home and I had just left my job and, but I was, I just, I made myself come because I loved coming. I loved the sort of free form idea of how everything flowed. And I love, I love watching people be courageous. So tell me about how that experience was for you. Because for me on the other side of things, it was, it was just wonderful to be there, to, to be, feel like you're with a bunch of like badass, courageous people who are various points in their lives, right? Like everybody was at a different point in how much they had spoken about things before. Mm, yeah. And uh, there's just this lovely sense of community and, um, and bravery. Mm. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I, it's one of my, it's one of the favorite things I've done because it just felt it just all felt so natural and easy, you know, yeah. um, which is what I'm all about. <laughs> so there was, you know, I kind of had a rough plan of, not a rough plan, but like basically I was like, okay, well, this week I'll kind of maybe talk, talk about this. Um, mm -hmm. And so from my perspective, it was pretty much all free flow. And that's the way that I like that I operate best when there's not a lot of structure and when I haven't set high, you know, like big expectations around what I'm going to deliver, then I find that I'm, I'm free in the moment to share whatever wisdom comes through. And yeah, and what I loved about it, you know, it was such an engaged group of women and, you know, and, and I loved the fact that, you know, the sharing was really cool. What I saw was, like you said, like a bunch of women who were at very different parts of their, I guess, visibility journey, if you want to call it that. Um, but it, it's more, it's, it, it's even more, it, you know, it's more 
than visibility. You know, it's about boundaries and vulnerability and, and all that kind of good juicy stuff. And I feel like um, it, yeah, it just felt like a really incredible space. And I would come away from those calls just feeling totally energized too. I can't imagine, that's why I do nothing at night. <laughs> you know, like everything is in the day because it really does take a long time to wind down after being around that kind of energy. It's very, um, particularly for me, I'm really into human design and as a projector, I tend to take on other people's energy. So I, you know, I go away from those things and I literally need to wind down for a few hours afterwards. Hence, most of my stuff is that, you know, morning to midday kind of time. I don't do a lot after that. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. Although, I mean, I make exceptions for, you know, things that, that are totally. beyond control, you know, because yeah. there's it's worth it. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. No, I think I was going to bed at, you know, midnight or one. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was going back to, so part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast is talk about being visible, what that means, how, we, how that makes us feel and, and what it means to go through, to be visible when you're going through something complicated. So it's not just like showing up as, you know, fucking amazing all the time yeah, yeah, on totally. Instagram and here's my awesome life. And here's my, the funny joke that took me five hours to write that I'm just going to pretend like I'm saying right now. Um, you know, it's, it's also showing people what the fuck you do when things go bad. Right. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy that about what you bring to the game as well because you're not just talking about yeah the, the sunshine I am and the results I'm getting awesome. from my clients and yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. here's my to-do <laughs> list um and so going back to you, you talked about going through a really difficult time and then having a surprise baby and then being a mom like that's a that's a fucking lot of things to yeah. happen all at the same time but even before then you talked about this depression in your thirties because that really resonated with me because I went through something very similar as well. And have you done any, do you talk about Saturn returns at all? Do you know about that concept? No, I, I am kind of familiar with it. Human design deals a lot in a, astrology. Um, okay. So I'm kind of familiar with it, but yeah, I'd love to hear so, what you have to say. Cause it, when I, when I, when someone told me about the concept of it while I was going through things, it completely changed how I was able to even like attack it. So the idea behind Saturn returns is every seven years we change, right? Every, every, mm -hmm. our, our cells are completely different. Everything's gone through a cycle. And so we have these seven year cycles and the one from like 27 ish to 35 is like really huge. <laughs> and so the deal is essentially all of the problems that you've ever faced before that you haven't been able to get through, come back to you over and over again, wearing different masks, giving you the opportunity to like properly deal with them. So you move on. And then apparently the seven years after that, like 35 to 42 or whatever that might be, are like just enjoying your life. And I mean, that resonates so much with a lot of women I know, because I don't know very many people who had a great time in their 20s. No, like, oh like, God, no. Go back it was a clusterfuck for me, years. let's be honest. <laughs> oh my God. And so it's like, that's know, the thing. Like, I would just never go back. Like, it doesn't matter that I had like a banging no. body and no wrinkles or, you know, and still colored hair. You didn't um, enjoy it anyway. 
<laughs> no. I mean, most of the time I was drunk or high, to be honest. Like it was, yeah. I was just in classic avoidance of, you know, of me and my pain for sure. And then I think that's, that's what happened for me was all of that running away from myself caught up with me when, yeah. you know, around that time where I turned yeah. 30. Yeah. And then, and then it, it was actually the interesting thing was I had spent my entire life never wanting to be alone. Like I always had to have other people around me. I hated being by myself. And around that time, um, when I was about 30, I moved to an area with my husband, which I had, like I knew no one. I had no real way of getting to know anyone because I worked for myself from home and um, you know, I didn't have any kids, so I didn't have a school drop off. And it's where I moved to was like pretty much a lot of elderly people and not many, definitely no, at that time, there wasn't really not anyone who was an entrepreneur because it was, you know, a, a number of years ago, it was a very small coastal town. And so suddenly I found myself by myself with myself and nobody else. And so, yeah, all of those years of running away from me really caught up and I had to get to know myself, you know, and I guess I spent those, I, I feel like the last, yeah, the last, like, cause now I guess I'm in that next phase cause I'm 43 now. Um, and I did, I did have a lot like that, that 27 to 35 period for me was very painful and mm-hmm. a, a lot of ups and downs, but then actually 35, I, I feel like when I hit around 40, that's when I really started to come into my own. And now, and now I'm, now I'm curious as to what's next in this next phase. <laughs> more of the same hopefully (laughs) i know yeah you get a second saturn returns and i can't remember when it is i imagine it's probably the double so maybe 54 or something like that Yeah, right you you know all the then then yeah the chiron what do they call it the kieran anyway yeah 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 Yeah, um in human design they've got like a thing called it's is it the kieran return it's c-h-i-r-o-n and it happens when you're around that point, 50, mid fifties. And, um, yeah. And for a lot of people, that's when, um, yeah, when like there's, there's a particular profile type in human design called the sixth line, which is the role model. And they kind of come off the roof. They've been sitting up there observing life and they come off the roof and they're kind of the role model then, but that's kind of that time where, yeah, where I guess it's like our second Saturn return. Yeah. 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 And then I guess the, the really bad problems are keep coming back. The ones that you couldn't deal with the first time. Oh my God. <laughs> I've got, at least I've got a few years left to work on that shit. Right? Yeah, exactly. Solve all your problems when they come to you. I think the thing about for that with me, because I was quite depressed and ha- went through another round as well um, before I got out of that seven year cycle was it, it what it gave me the opportunity to do was to see to try and observe myself outside of myself and mm. say okay well if I was going to be a hero how would I handle this situation if that was who I was and then I, I was like oh I actually if I think about it like this then I can do it this way and that you know that was a game changer for me and so watching everything sort of outside of myself really changed things around so then you had a baby mm. And how old were you when you had your baby? Um, 36 or 37, I think. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. Because like that's a huge thing that I think about a lot is I'd lived so much life and then, and I was so used to being like very independent. Mm-hmm. 
And then, I mean, we, our baby was not a surprise baby, but, um, but what the surprise was, oh, this is what motherhood is like. (laughs) And um, so, so tell me a little bit across the face with a dead fish. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) A dead fish that's pooping all the time and really needs you. And there's, I mean, obviously there's like all the wonderful things that you can talk about, but that, that loss of independence, um, I struggled with that huge. And, uh, so, you know, how did you, how did that go for you? Did you, and you said you were, were you in the depression at that point? Yeah. So, so I'd had, I'd had my initial, you know, I guess the, the shock of figuring out that I was on my own and, you know, and dealing with all my stuff. And then, and then, um, a few years later, I started my co-working space, uh, which failed, cost me a hundred thousand dollars, took me to the brink. And that was, that was where that depression hit. So it was, um, it was definitely a very circumstantial kind of depression. Mm-hmm. And actually I had a similar experience to you. So I was uh, just scrambling, like, oh, I can't even, like, ugh, that time of my life was just so painful. I cried every day for six months. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how I was going to keep the roof over my head um, it was very painful and very, very stressful, but not just because the business had failed, but it was also like um, very personal for me. So I felt like, you know, I was this massive failure. And so I had this moment where I actually had considered taking my own life. I got a call from the um, Australian tax office for them chasing, I think it was about $16,000. And I literally had like nothing in my account Mm-hmm. Um, at the time my husband had, had, he'd been working on the roads and like doing, uh, you know, construction kind of work. And we had like a La Nina where it just rains and rains and rains and it might mm-hmm. rain for like six months. So he was out of work. I was like paying, you know, we had a house that, um, we had bought that, uh, in an area which just bombed after the GFC. And so we had put all this money into it. And it was worth less than what we'd bought it for. So we couldn't sell it. <laughs> so, you know, so th- like all this was kind of going on at the same time as my business was failing. And, uh, you know, sitting in a, you know, I had these massive dreams and this like vision of what I was creating and it felt so amazing. And then I built it and no one came. And to sit there in this beautiful space that I had created for others Mm-hmm. Um, and for myself too, because I was really desperate for community at that stage. And so it was just so painful, you know, like to sit there every day with like knowing that the money was just draining, draining, draining. And, there, you know, and basically it was like stealing from Peter to give to Paul kind of thing. And I remember that when the tax office rang, I was just like, oh, like, I, I, I don't, I, like, I just don't know what to do. And I just started bawling my eyes out. And the guy had said, look, um, will I'll put you through to hardship and, and maybe we'll get you on a payment plan or something. And straight after that, I had a call with someone who was practicing to be a life coach. And, um, and so I got on this call and I was just like a total mess. And I was literally thinking about like on the same day. Life. Yeah. Like five like, minutes later. So this oh call tax office came and I went yeah. from that call onto this call with this poor, wonderful human who was training to be a life coach. And, you know, and I was just in this state, oh my God, I, I just can't even imagine what it was like for her. But in that, in that she introduced me to above and below the line. 
which you know you've been the, the so it's um like you've got the you've got this line you know like an imaginary line and then um above the line is love below the line is fear above the line is he, he, you know hero below the line is victim above the line is um yeah like you know so you've got like the positive kind of stuff at the top and the negative i'm just trying to think of what some of the other ones are but i think you get the gist right so um uh yeah so basically oh abundance would be at the top lack would be at the bottom and there's a whole stack of them and um and this woman showed me this image and she was like where are you on the line and i was like i'm not even below like i'm below below the line in every area um and so having this image was just like it was like something shifted in me and i could see that there that there would change was possible all i had to do was move myself up the line Right. So I, I got a big piece of chalk and I went into my um, studio, which was at my co-working space. And on one whole wall, I drew this massive image of above and below the line. And I just sat there and I thought, okay, where am I experiencing most of my pain? And it was lack, you know, like I was really feeling like, oh my God, I've got like, bleh. so thought, well, what can I do to shift that? And I just started tracking money that was coming in and then I could see, hang on, there is money coming in. It's just going out faster than it's coming in. So what can I do mm-hmm. to um, change that? And so eventually I, I decided that I would um, find someone to sublet the space because it was a, this, this is the other thing, like commercial leases are like concrete here. You've got to die to get out of one. And then I think it goes down to your family members, you know? So, so, um, so I was locked into this thing. Um, and yeah, and so I ended up finding someone to sublet. But a similar experience in that, um, I could, you know, I could just all of a sudden see, yeah, that, that I had more power than I had really thought I had in that moment. Because, you know, yeah. depression is a really desolate place where, where, where you just can't see logically the way forward. It's like you're just devoid of all hope and, you know, and so yeah. those, that's not, a, that's not a space where you can generally just, you know, like, oh, I'll put on a happy face and, you know, everything. Yeah, just go good. above the line. That's what I mean. Right, right, right. But for me, it was like, I, I think I'd hit that rock. Well, the, I, I explained that time as like, there's this great video. Um, it's of a gooseling, I think, or whatever, like a little baby goose. Um, and it, it's falling down a cliff, right? And it's this special kind of goose. The, the, the mums lay the eggs up on the cliff and the birds hatch. And then they like go rolling down a cliff. <laughs> it's like harrowing to watch, but they're like, it's like, and you think, oh my God, rock bottom, they've hit rock bottom. And then it's like, no, no, no. Oh no, they're still going. They're rolling. They're rolling. Oh my God, they're hitting a rock there. Oh, you know, and it's like, that has to be rock bottom. And, and then they just keep rolling down this fucking hill and and some of them die on the way down and and the strongest ones kind of raise and and they end up living a fruitful life and and then they fucking lay their eggs on the top of the cliff like why would you but they do um and so and and that visual is how I felt like I just felt like I was rolling down a hill and hitting rock bottom and then bouncing and you know ricocheting off and like back down I go and I feel like that moment where like there was no lower I could go there's no lower than considering taking your own life other than actually taking your own life right Mm -hmm. um so you know so from that point when I'd hit the rock bottom of rock bottoms it was like okay now now I'm i I, something has to change, you know, and sometimes we have to get to that point, you know? Um, and for me, I did. Yeah. So I'm just uh, on that note, I'm just going to, we're just going to take a quick break. 
Are you tired of avoiding opportunities because you're afraid you might sound stupid or unprofessional? Hi, I'm Megan. I'm a speaking visibility and confidence coach. I help you control your nerves, uncover some of the reasons you've been holding yourself back, and learn how to trust your intuition so that you can speak authentically and with authority. Email me, Megan, M-E-G-A-N, at ubuskills.com, and let's talk about how I can help. And now, back to UBU Pod. Yeah, isn't that funny? I mean, it's not funny, but um, just the amount of women I know that around 30, like massive things change and, and, um, and then, and then, yeah, you fucking build yourself back up and, and be yeah. resilient and then learn, totally. oh, this is who I am. Right. And, and in that space, you know, not sh- like, I mean, I had, I felt like I had flipped things around a little bit because, um, you know, I had taken some action, but that's when I fell pregnant, right? Like I, I actually that's found when people you got pregnant. To, yeah. So I found people to sublet the space. They right. came in and that weekend, my husband and I went to celebrate and we celebrated a little bit too hard and, um, and I found myself pregnant. So, so it was like, I had made space like this, you know, I had this huge mm-hmm. thing that was all consuming in my life and I committed, which was a really scary thing. I find, um, I find scaries, you know, endings can be quite scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like admitting that you were wrong and admitting that things aren't working is a really courageous thing to do. And, um, and I feel like a a lot of us hold on for too long. You know, we're like that cat, that image of the nineties with the cat hanging off the cliff, you know, just hang in there. And it's like, no, it's also okay to, to let go and be the baby gosling, you know, and like roll down that hill. (laughs) What's that? Well, you have to learn that the first time, because if you don't know that you can get up, then you sort of like think that when you fall, you're done. That's it. Yeah. And who knows how long it's going to take you before that really happens. And, and, you know, you might, I just feel like sometimes in your twenties, and that's not to say that this is the same for everybody, but when you feel like you've really fallen, your thirties, you're like, Oh, really? Mm. Is that, oh, yeah. <laughs> let me show you what's up. Is that as low as you can go? Let's see. Hey Let's girl. <laughs> Welcome to the thirties. The They're really getting to know yourself period. And so then you had, then you had a baby and then, mm. You know, let's talk about how motherhood changes our sense of self because um, because I, I find that that's another thing that doesn't get talked about very often. And there's this great documentary in Canada of Canadian rock moms and what it actually takes to, you know, be a musician, be a mom, go on the road, the sort of reverse stereotypes that you have to deal with on top of just everything else. You know, tell me how that went for you. Tell me how your sense of self uh, changed and developed. Mm. So I, I found that first year of motherhood incredibly difficult, Mm -hmm. incredibly difficult for a number of reasons. I felt more isolated than I ever have. And that's, that was saying something because I'd really felt very isolated yeah. by first depression. Uh, and, you know, I was also having to, I'm, I'm the primary breadwinner at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband, he works, but generally, um, you know, it's, it's a basic income. So I, 
I, yeah. So the earning potential is with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was running, I had my business at the point where, particularly with the voiceover agency, where I had a lot of systems and stuff in place. So it wasn't taxing on me too much, but I also had to try and find time to run the business at a time where a lot of mums are on maternity leave. And so they were all kind of getting together and, you know, having their morning get together and yoga or class and, you know, coffee down the lake and all that kind of jazz. And, and I, I not only did I not really have the privilege of doing that because I had to run the business, but also my daughter was a very terrible sleeper. So, oh my God. I, I and that breaks a woman. Her. Oh, it's, and it's not, it's not even, I don't know if you breastfed or not. I did. Yeah, and I did. Like there's nothing. You're the one. Yeah. You're the one. When and my husband's very, he's a very um, hands-on dad. You know, he was Mine always too. changing the shitty nappies and, um, you know, mm-hmm. and did everything to try to support me. But mm-hmm. like it, yeah, like the, it's you and the baby, you yeah. know, when you're breastfeeding it, that's definitely the case. And it's around the clock. It's, it's not a like, and for my daughter, so she slept no more than 40 minutes at a time. So yeah, I was up. You're the only other person that I've ever been able to find like this. Oh my God. I, I fainted at 15 months. Yeah. That's right. when I was like, okay, you can't do this anymore. I was yeah. Like getting- I, it was about 15 months when I, when we changed things too. Did you do the Ferber method? No, well, we just kind of were like, you know, because everyone had been telling me, oh, do this, do this, do this. And we just actually, because I co-slept because it was like, it was just so, it, it was, it was too hard for me to get up eight or nine times a night. Um, and so we just co-slept and Miko actually stayed in the spare room that entire time because like it, yeah, it was, it was enough for just me and, and her. I didn't need him in the, in the mix as well. So, um, so he stayed in the spare room all that time. And, and actually what I found was I decided, okay, this is it. She needs to go into her own room now and we're just going to have to see what kind of happens. And part of it, I think was like, she was rolling over. I was being disturbed. She was waking up and just attaching to my boob. So once she went into her own room, things started to calm down a little bit and yeah. And, and that kind of, it just kind of naturally happened, but like in the day she only slept for 20 minutes too, like twice a day for 20 minutes and like, Oh my God. And anytime I would get her in the car, of course she would fall asleep. No, that's so what we would do. Just take her. Right. Her. Me too. I, I used to walk around the neighborhood in the pram, like with her in the pram, just crying to get her to sleep. And then I would stroll the pram into my bedroom, leave it there, go do work. She would wake. Okay. Well, that's it done for now. You know, like, oh my God, just, it was such a, yeah, there's a reason why I haven't gone back for a second. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, and I, and that's not to say like, you know, obviously she's my daughter and I absolutely love her to bits, um, but holy shit, like that was, I was not prepared for the level of exhaustion Mm -hmm. and, um, and yeah, and just like, I was just so, it was such an emotional time for me and I really struggled with it. Um, but also I guess like in that it did teach me, it gave me another level of resilience, you know, and, um, and also I became highly productive because I had fuck all time to do anything. (laughs) 
I know. Whereas before I was like, how, oh my God, how the time I used to waste just, I know, oh my God, me too. And it was like, okay, I have 45 minutes. Yeah. And it's amazing what you can achieve in 45 minutes. Write half my book. I don't know, whatever. Like I'm going to get it done. Like nothing is more productive than a busy mom. Totally. (laughs) A hundred percent. How, like I found that I was minimum two years physically recovering Mm. from that period from Mm. the time that I started to actually sleep. And it took me a long time to be able to sleep fully again. Yeah. And physically I noticed like just so many things. And then I'd have these weird body experiences, you know, even a year later and I'd be like, Oh, I think I'm just still dealing with Mm. extreme sleep deprivation yeah for such a well it's a form of torture for a reason you know like it's yeah and and again like you find yourself in that space where it where it is like a depression right like the inability to think clearly I just remember like those days where I felt like I needed a toothpick you know going from my chin to my eyebrow just to keep my eyes open um, clockwork orange what are those yeah yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I would yeah, be in just, the car sometimes uh, and just think, oh, I don't think I should be driving right now. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. I, I don't think I'm quite all here. But then past that, as a person who's, you know, a, a performer, how did motherhood affect your identity and your sense of self or did it? I mean, obviously it changes everything. Well, but I don't know. Like, I feel like I I feel like I've always had a really solid sense of who I am and I and I feel like nothing that life has thrown at me and it's thrown some pretty big shit my way <laughs> um nothing that life has thrown at me has fundamentally changed who I am um it you know yeah so so I feel like it doesn't it didn't necessarily change my sense of self but it definitely changed the way um I prioritize myself and I prioritize my energy mm-hmm. that has changed. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I'm still, I'm still the same person, just an evolved version of that person. If yeah. that makes sense. A bit more responsible. Yeah. 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 Um, probably a little bit more. <laughs> just a bit though. Not fully. <laughs> not, not fully. I'm definitely not no, an adult. No. <laughs> there's, there's no adults here. Yeah. Um, we often talk about because I'm 46 and um, I'm one of the oldest moms in terms of the moms in the friend group. But I I I look and behave uh, <laughs> quite a bit younger. Yeah, and uh, we'll just go with that being my young, my youthful sense of life. Yeah, totally. Yes. <laughs> Okay. And so now here we are, you are still podcasting and you've got this voiceover business and you're coaching. Mm. So tell me a little bit about that. So I, for years, I truly did beat myself up for not being able to stick to one thing. And I copped a lot of um, well-intended advice from the people around me. Like, why isn't the voiceover agency enough for you? Just like, if you just focus, focused your attention on that, instead of like having so many things or looking for the next, next big thing, then you could make something really good here, you know? And like, it just, it just didn't nothing for me. Uh-huh. And I tried it occasionally every now and then I'll go back and, and put a little bit of attention into it and try and build it up. And then, 
And then I realized like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's not my work in the world. It's something mm-hmm. that I, that I do. And I actually do enjoy it. Like I do enjoy the voiceover stuff and I enjoy running that business mostly because it's very hands-off for me. So it's kind of like a, um, Oh, you know, whatever they call it. What do they call it when you passive income? Uh, but right. like, yeah, it's, sure. it's not, it's not actually that passive, but, but it is in a lot of respects it's because like I've study something. Yeah. And it just kind of, and, and very little effort on my behalf. You know, there are things mm-hmm. that I have to do, you know, occasionally I'll have to jump on a phone call, but like we've got a lot, I'm, I'm a very, Uh, systems person. So if I know I'm going to have to do something more than once, I'll create a little hack so that I don't have to do it again. You know, like I'm, I'm a person who is very, um, and actually having a baby, that's something that did shift for me was I was forced to put these systems in place. And so, you know, I went about and created like um, procedure manuals and all that kind of jazz so that everything had a place. And now clients can just go and log a job and that job gets sent off to myself and my editor and one of us kind of send it to a talent and then the talent records and they send it to my editor and he kind of handles it. And then I'll, I'll handle sales inquiries and the invoicing. And then I have a bookkeeper kind of do the rest. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not a, it's not time consuming for me. It's quite enjoyable. I really like my clients. They're, they're fantastic humans. And while, while it's not like soul enriching, it uh, helps with the bank account and it, you know, it's not something that I I hate to do. So I I continue to do it. Um, Yeah. And I'm the boss, which is something (laughs) that I always, I've always been that that person, you know, like even I had jobs, but I was always the manager. Yeah. And, and I actually don't really enjoy working for other people that much. I'm more the, you know, I'd rather be the person directing the people. That's really where I feel like my skills are in directing, whether that is like, you know, directing people how to best use their energy in their business and where to show up. And, and strategy is another thing that I really love. You know, I love helping people come up with their own strategies for life, business, whatever it is, that's going to work for them as a unique person. Right. Because over the last, you know, well, 43 years, I guess, but like particularly the last, um, yeah, 15 of running a business by myself, you know, I've tried all the strategies. I had an online podcasting school. I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was going to be my, that whole put your knowledge into a course and, and go sip cocktails on the beach while the money ticks in. And so, and I, and I went all in on that, you know, and I had uh, a, a team, I had a Facebook ads person, I had someone, an online business manager and assistants and all that kind of jazz and sales funnels and all the things that we're supposed to have. And none of it worked mm-hmm. for me or it did temporarily. And then it just kind of come to a stop and there was no rhyme or reason as to why. And so for me, I've realized that the, the things that work uh, gen- like I look back on my life and I look at, okay, what didn't work? Well, this didn't work. Why didn't that work? Well, you know, what similarities are there between the things that didn't work and what similarities are there between the things that did? And what I realized is things work best for me um, when like, like how I showed up for show up, speak up, when I'm on the fly, when I'm honoring where I'm at in the moment and when there's not a lot of pressure or expectation, you know, I'm just here doing my thing and whatever it is I feel called to in that time. So it's taken a long time for me to give myself permission to do whatever the fuck I want, you know, and not have my business have the five-year plan and, and not have like a, a really strong 
strategy and and goals and all that kind of jazz. I don't do any of that. Yeah, I, I just kind of float through life and it brings me opportunities and then I kind of act on those opportunities or I feel called to something and I think, yeah, I'll give that a crack. Rinse and repeat stuff doesn't work for me. So I do lots of different things, right? Like I have my hat, my hand in many different pies. You know, I have the voice of agency. I still have the podcasting school and I still run programs with that if I feel called every now and then. I also produce shows. So I get invited by a lot of large corporates to produce and consult on on various podcasts. So I do a lot of that kind of stuff. I work with podcasters on their own personal strategies and improving their show. I've run various masterminds and stuff in that regard. I've run business masterminds. I've done business coaching. I do a bit of life coaching. Uh, I run retreats, you know, just whatever, whatever is floating my boat at that moment and whatever I feel like people want and what, what I feel like I feel called to deliver. And then I just mm-hmm. kind of honor that. And sometimes it brings up a lot of fear because it's not, it's not nothing certain. But what I found is like, neither there's nothing, nothing is certain, nothing you know, like you can have the best plan in the fucking world and it might not work out. So for me, I, I feel like sometimes I'm on tender hooks and I do feel a bit like that cat hanging onto the cliff, like, fuck what, you know, like shit. <laughs> ah! um, but it does work, you know, and, um, it works for you. and yeah. And for me, right. Like it works for me. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that that, that approach isn't for everyone, but, um, but this, this is what I'm all about is finding what does work for you, right. Like what makes you feel yeah. a success. And, and so for me, it is just, doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that being really, I'm just open to opportunities. I'm, you know, I'm available for whatever people want from me if it feels good. And I like the idea that if you're deciding that you're going with the next thing that comes along, you know, often when we're doing something for the first time, there's, we have this, all this green energy, right? Cause you don't know what, what the shortcomings might be or what, like what, like bullshit you might have to face. And when you don't know that you just go all in, right. And you're just Mm, like, this is going to be amazing. And you bring all this energy to it. And, um, you know, I don't know much about human design, but almost every single person that I know is talking about it, Mm. which makes me think I I should probably look into it. I should pull your chart. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do it. Um, I would imagine that, but whatever is part of your human design is like somebody who, manifest things, who makes things happen, who, who, who follows, you know, uh, follows your heart and follows your energy and, and, um, and brings a lot to the table in that regard. Cause sometimes I feel, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's interesting, right? So in, in human design, there are five main types. Um, most 70% of the population are like generators. So, um, or a form of generator. And so basically they're here, like the generator is like, you're actually a generator. Like you're here to generate things. You've got an energy that if you're doing the things that you love in life, it can keep sustaining. Um, so that's about seven. They're like the worker bees. They're here to create, they're here to build, they're here to generate, you know, um, and generally really warm lovely human beings. I love, I love generators. And then you have manifestors. They're about 9% of the population. Now, these people are the people who can just have an idea and, and start it, you know, and it, and it will be a success providing they're informing people. And they're generally the people who have big success in the online space because they can just say a call to action and people are Mm -hmm. going to take that call to action. That's what they're designed to do. They're designed to initiate 
I'm not one of those. I'm a projector. So a projector is about 20% of the population. We are um, the guides and the, we don't have that consistent energy. So we have to prioritize downtime. We have to prioritize sleep. And also we're not here to initiate. We are here to be invited. So for me, knowing that about myself means that it has, it has fundamentally changed the way I show up. Before I was the person who had the idea, put a hundred thousand bucks in and voila, we're sitting in an empty co-working space and I'm wondering, feeling bitter and resentful. Why isn't this working for me when, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and, and projector, um, projectors and generators can have that sense of like, why isn't this working for me? It's supposed to work for me because that manifestors the, the 9%, they've been the Lords and the Kings and the rulers of, you know, of our system for years. And so they've kind of told us how it's supposed to work and we've all gone. Yeah. Well, and then we are trying to like, start and initiate and create the things and, and then wondering why it's not working. Um, and so for me, uh, I really, I really embrace human design. I'm not really down with dogma of any kind or anything that like, um, you, you know, I don't, I don't believe hard and fast in anything, but for me, my experience with human design has been fascinating because it's really allowed me to understand and just experiment. So before you had said, um, you know, like, my whole nature is that I am here to guide people. I'm here to, uh, I'm a one three, which basically means that I'm here to investigate things and then test out the theory. And that's, and so I'm a massive experimenter. Um, and knowing that about myself and that's how I'm built has been one of the most freeing things that I have ever experienced because up until that point, I thought I was a failure. You know, I thought like, why do I always have to, you know, I should have just taken their word for it when they said to me, this is how it is. And I went, let me just test that theory. And then it didn't work. And they were like, I told you so, you know, like, like all the stories that you have around that stuff, when you are an experimenter, they're not all positive, you know, <laughs> in fact, yeah. they're rarely positive. But for me, it, like I have to experience something and my whole makeup is um, like, we all have these different centers. It's quite a complex system, but for me, I have my throat and my G center, which is about sen sense of self identity and direction mm -hmm. and my spleen, which is all about intuition. And so I have a channel that runs from my spleen to my throat. So I'm constantly speaking in the now, right? Which I'm sure like, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and then I also have a channel that runs from my um, throat to my G center, which is a center of leadership, but not leadership in the, I'm the king, you are my kingdom kind of thing. It's a really democratic leading from the inside kind of energy. So that is who I am. And when I honor that and I show up and I'm not trying to make shit happen, but I'm just available, um, you know, I'm making my energy available, then that's when shit works for me. So, you know, we all have our unique makeup. Yes. And whether we, whether we, um, whether we use human design or we use what, whatever tools we want to use for that strengths finder, I don't like Roger Hamilton stuff. You're just your own sense of direction and knowing, um, whatever it is, like we all have our own unique strategy. We're not all built the same. We're not here to do things in the same way. And for me, human design has been not only a great tool for understanding myself and how I show up in the world, actually as a tool of forgiveness and acceptance but also for those around me. When I look at their charts, I can see, you know, I can understand that they're showing up 
from their design. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So I can have not only more acceptance for myself, but also acceptance for others, which is um, hugely liberating. <laughs> I love that. And I love the idea that, like you said, so 70% of the people are sort of the same. And so something should work for 70% of the people. And then you are a little bit different and you go to do it and you're like, why the fuck isn't this working for me? Right. Something's wrong with me. Mm. But then you get to that point in your life where you go, there's nothing wrong with me. I just work different. I right. think about things differently. And like the things, you know, when, when we're in flow or whatever we want to call it, stuff is just jamming and you feel amazing and you think, yeah, I finally got it. And then, you know, the self-doubt or all the, the things that, that you're not pop up again, or the expectations of your parents or people who, you know, just, it's just a lot of conditioning. Well. Something yeah. Like so, and like undoing all of that and just really honoring what it is about you that makes you jam and makes you feel alive is, is fucking liberating. It's so, and you're totally. right. Like, and you find, you look for that in other people. And instead of taking offense to something, you think, oh, they're just, they just see this from a totally different angle. And it, right. And that's okay. You up to be like more compassionate and less just hundred percent frustrated all the time. Totally. And, and compassionate, not just towards yourself too, right? Like compassionate towards them, but greater compassion for yourself, which I think is the, like when, when we are truly accepting and compassionate towards ourselves and we have that, that, you know, that we've built that muscle up, Mm -hmm. um, then, then we can't help but me be more accepting and compassionate of others. And that's how we impact. Like, I, I honestly think that having, having been heavily involved in the, in the, um, personal development world for years, um, you know, and, and all the blocks and all the things we've got to fix and all this kind of shit. When I truly believe that it's just acceptance, acceptance is the key. When we can accept who we are, when we can accept who others are and not see things as a flaw or not see them as needing fixing, you know, I don't believe anyone's broken. I believe everyone comes as a, a whole and complete human, human being. And that, that involves like some of the good shit and some of the bad shit, right? Like we're, we all, we're just a spectrum of um, humanity, a spectrum of feelings, a spectrum of emotions, a spectrum of behaviors. And none of that requires necessarily fixing, but rather like, you know, when we're in resistance to something, <laughs> Like if we find acceptance for it, it's like, I, all, I, I think I said this in um, show up, speak up a lot of times. It's like when we, when, we, when we drop the need for the issue, the issue no longer exists. So when we're not in resistance yeah. to who we are, Mm -hmm. that you know like it frees us up to actually be who we are and and yeah. and then we can impact the world in really truly meaningful ways you know um, but it doesn't require are... fixing you don't require yeah. fixing yeah exactly yeah and it's it's i've been doing a lot of shadow work and i've been building this course with tarot and shadow work that's coming up and uh and that's the whole the whole basis of it is and this is all geared towards speaking and visibility is when you really know the shit about mm. yourself, the stuff that you've not really paid attention to or that you've knowingly or, or inadvertently pushed aside because it was too painful or whatever, whatever, when you go back and really take a look at it and, and find, find yourself accepting that part of yourself and really understanding it for what, whatever the thing was, what it really was, not just what we've decided it was and then mm. moved on. Like it's so radically shifting radical acceptance yeah radical acceptance yeah right just yeah. like whatever it is okay that's me i yep, mean there's no totally. point not being that because <laughs> you're just going to be 
feel awkward all the time. <laughs> right. And, and denying who you are actually creates yeah. like a sense of shame and, and it, cre- and, and that kind of creates the shadow, right? Like, um, yeah. you, you know, well, the like sh- the shadow is just shame. That's all right. it is. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so like shining a light on that stuff, I feel like that's been my work over the last decade has been looking at those areas where I feel like I, like this part of me is not acceptable for some reason. Mm. And then I kind of bring that part forward. You know, I did some incredible work with a, a singing coach who was way more than a singing coach a few years ago. And we did this stuff. It's fascinating. The psychology of selves. And that whole thing is around, um, you know, we've got all these different aspects to us and um, a lot of them are hidden. So for example, we may have, and a lot of it is common vernacular these days, like the the inner critic, you know, so we have this Mm -hmm. inner critic Mm -hmm. and then we also have within us an inner appeaser, you know, but often the critic is really strong and, and in front and it's hiding the appeaser away kind of in the shadows. And so uh, in, in voice dialogue work, you speak to those parts of you, which have basically, it's like a separation of selves. It's kind of almost like having multiple personalities. We all have kind of these multiple personalities living within us who have been established during certain periods of our life. You know, so something traumatic happens in our childhood and we create a persona to deal with that. And these little personas are living around inside of us. And some of them we are really deeply ashamed of and they're really hidden deep. And, um, you know, and and that kind of stuff often comes out as, um, you know, like passive aggressive tendencies and, you know, like whatever we're hiding in the shadow, the other one is expressing itself really um, pretty fully and and often not in in particularly healthy ways. So voice dialogue work is going to speak to these different aspects of you, and it's fascinating stuff. But yeah, but that but that had me really, uh, you know, look deeply at some of the the little me's that were running the show, and and to find and and that whole the whole purpose of that exercise is to find acceptance for those little versions of you instead of trying to hide them away because you feel they're not. Um, socially acceptable or you know not not the most attractive elements of of your personality um so yeah that 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 yeah the shadow work for me is really about finding acceptance you know that's what brings it out of out of the darkness and into the light a hundred percent and it just it just makes you it opens everything up and you're just like i don't give a fuck about that anymore totally It's so cool. Like a a lot, like, you know, just a weight lifted. (laughs) Like a literal, yeah. Like, like you feel, yes, it's, it's, it's an, it's a massive change. It's a big difference. And there's, you know, the good news is there's always shadow things. So we can totally, there's always something more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, oh, what a, this has been, it's just been incredible talking to you today, Carly. And like, thank you so much for coming on and, sharing all of your, you know, life stories and wisdom and, and looking forward. And, um, if you, if you, (laughs) I've heard that you've got this pretty, um, pretty incredible skill of just sort of, um, finding really descriptive ways of talking about things. And so I seem to recall something about like wanting to take your bra off at the end of the day. that you said your boobs were like greasy balls of fat so that's in the morning in the afternoon when i take it off at evening it's like oh all the angels are singing you know your boobs are free and it's airy and light and then in the morning once it reaches past that like 
mid-morning point, you still don't have a bra on, then they're like greasy balls of, of fat. <laughs> then they're the greasy balls of fat. I love yeah. it. I love it. Just wanted okay. to like differentiate. <laughs> no, yeah. I, thank you for clarifying because it... Uh... <laughs> Um, uh, so I was thinking, I, I was going to try and come up with a couple of things for you to just sort of riff on, um, since you're so good at it. What about like, um, what about, what about the morning when you wake up in the morning after having like a really salty meal the night before, what would you say your tongue was <laughs> like? Uh, well, I can tell you what, <laughs> actually, um, one way that I describe, a hangover in the morning. I don't really drink that much, but like in the old days where I used to be a smoker and a drinker was like the bottom of a bird cage, <laughs> you know, like, like covered in shit and, and bits of shell grit. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's I kind of, yeah. I guess that's kind of a similar feeling to after a salty meal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all sort of the same, isn't it? Maybe just like toxins leaking out of your yeah, bits. Um, and um, what about what about when you've been sitting in a hot car in a leather seat? Oh Any, my god! Come to mind cool. Let me think about that one for a second. Well, <laughs> I did not make these up ahead of time. I just want you to know I'm, I'm as well. <laughs> it, that actually reminds me of, um, you know, <laughs> you know, that feeling when I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but like when you're camping and, um, and, and you wake up in the morning and the sun has all of a sudden hit the tent and it's just like, you're gasping for air and you got to like open up and be like, <gasps> it's kind of like that feeling like a gasping for air. Yeah. Feeling. Like, yeah. <laughs> sweaty oh my god I really that is one of my least favorite things like that feeling because I often feel trapped in those kind of environments like yeah I panic if my dad if my my dad if my husband (laughs) that's weird for audience like um if my husband turns the air off on the air conditioner like he'll he'll be driving along with it on like no air coming out and I get in the car and I'm like Turn the air on. What are you doing? God, mine does that too. And so instead of just like adjusting the temperature a little bit to make it more pleasant, he'll just turn it off. Yeah. And I need the airflow. Nothing. Nothing happening. And and soon the mirror is going to get foggy, whatever the heck. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So many things to relate to. Uh, On that note, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you. This was so fun. It was really fun. And, and um, I'm so looking forward to seeing what other things you come up with on the Instagram for all of Carly's information. I will have that in the show notes and yeah, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. you so you should know that I, I found it, it, it took me a few hours to come down from that conversation because Carly was so open and expressive and talked about so many incredible things. And I am ever grateful for that. Uh, for this podcast and just for her as a person in general. So you can find Carly at Carly with a K Nimmo, N-I-M-M-O dot com. She's on Instagram at Carlosophies and Facebook as Carly Nimmo. And you should know now that she is offering human design sessions from her website. And I took one and it was absolutely fascinating. So I highly recommend you go and check that out. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to UBU Pod. My name's Megan Hamilton. 
I do all the bits, the music, the editing, everything else. And if you're interested in chatting with me, please send me an email, megan at ubuskills.com and have yourself a fabulous week.